comedian to that mark, the realest motherfucker alive. <laughs> and you are listening to the Atomic Podcast, where Efren blows up the news on a verbal scale. Intellectual stimulation by way of mobile devices. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Atomic Podcast. And here is your host of the show, Efren Guzman. Ladies and gentlemen, comedian Danette Mark. Danette, how are you? Oh my gosh, Efren. Is it Efren or Efren? I should have asked you. Efren. Efren. Yep. I'm wonderful. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing very well. Um, we were talking before for a few minutes now, and you're very cool. You know, you're very mellow, very deep, very cool personality. Um, tell me about yourself. All right. Tell you. Oh, it's a good question. Like, I feel like I'm on an interview. Yeah, tell me about yourself. You like the interview thing? Let's see. All right. Well, no. I, I grew up on the south side of Chicago, so I have a little bit of edges to me. Um, I have a... I, you know, my parents are, are kind of eccentric, kind of different. So, I mean, kind of like I grew up with a, um, in an environment where I, I kind of have boundaries. So, which makes me very interesting because I wasn't really like, I don't go, you know, like this is normal. I don't know where normal is. Mm-hmm. I, could, I was always able to be who I am. So then now here I am being who I am in the world. And people are like, who the hell are you? Like, <laughs> where did you come from? Are you some kind of, because I'm really eccentric. I really just live. I march to the beat of my own drum, and I really, cool thing about me I love is I really accept everybody from there. I really look around and say, oh, okay, you're wherever you are. Oh, you're Mexican, you're black, you're white, you're this, you're that. And I'm like, oh, I don't really care, you're people. I'm like human, humanitarian. Mm. So I'm like, and by nature, not by like forest or I studied it, just I see people, I love people, I don't care. I, I find people who are different interesting. I don't like, you know. I'm really different. So if you have that kind of mentality and you're living in this world, you can do so much with your life because you're not going to be judging all the energy wasted on all that. Mm-hmm. It's more of the focus is on how am I going to relate to everyone? How am I going to listen to people and learn? How am I going to grow as a human being? That's kind of my life now. Mm. Who were like your major influences on comedy? Oh, my influences in comedy. Oh, my gosh. George Carlin, number one. Mm-hmm. So because George Carlin was, you know, George Carlin, believe it or not, to me, I don't want to talk about him for a minute because he's my favorite of yeah. all time. Like, I can't, there's no other comedian to me that will ever be better. Wow. Unless I get to be better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, but I mean, well, Ben kind of, he has really high, uh, high mark to hit, but I don't care. I shoot for the stars. But, um, so, George Carlin is really, my feeling about him is he's a really a humanitarian and he really loved people so much, but he got so disappointed. Um, by what people do, he found a lot of people to be what he would say. He would call them douchebags. Like, They're all douchebags. Yeah. So he would, he would get really, really angry that society or humanity was going in the direction it was. He got fed up, so he started making fun of it. He started making the fun of the ridiculous state, such in America, how America is. He started really criticizing Americans and making fun of all the things that Americans do. The American dream. And, and it really, like, I never even knew, I'm so naive, there was a dream. I just thought, oh. So he taught me a lot about what's going on, and then, like, kind of, like, just, he, he was very, very, like, he's really idealist, but he became a cynic over, the, over time, over watching what he felt humanity could be. He felt it, it was crumbling, but I feel it was, like, it's always climbing. So I, I like that he always felt, I can see why he thinks it was crumbling, but I know I'm, like, more of the hopeful, like, comedian that wants to talk about how we can build it up. So it's kind of like, I'm like, I don't know, the mirror opposite of him or something. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. not quite the same, but similar. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like flipped around a little bit, you know? Because I'm instead of being from going from um, light to dark, I'm going from dark to light. Yeah. Was, um, but even, even in high school, you was always a fan of George Carlin, too? I started liking George Carlin... My brother introduced me to George Carlin in my 20s. In the high school, when I was younger, I watched the, I come home from school mm-hmm. and watch Comic Strip Live. Are you familiar with that? Yes. It was on like, Channel 32. Or, and they have like the really old classic comedians like Diane Ford, Rita Rugner, all those. I would watch those comedians. And I would, you know, just, 
mostly women. There's some males too, but only the women seem to be standing out. I don't know why. It's probably because I'm a girl. I don't know. <laughs> and they loved comedy. I just loved watching. I was so like obsessed with it, really. Mm. And then I didn't know though, because I never really thought. I never really thought deeply about what I wanted to be when I was younger. I just kind of said, "Oh, I love comedy." I remember telling my brother, "I love stand-up comedy a lot," and he's like, "I think I want to be a stand-up comedian." And he goes. That's the hardest form of communication there is in the world. Why would you want to do that? And I was like, I don't know. I just wanted it. And he's like, I don't think you should try for that. You should shoot lower. I'm like, you know, whatever. My family wasn't very supportive. But he, you know, he was probably thinking about how he would feel about it. Mm-hmm. Like, he would be like, I'd rather die than do that. Wouldn't you? Know, how could you want to do that? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I just don't know. And I loved him. And then who else? Um, God. Uh, then later on came like Chris Rock and yeah. of course David Chappelle. I like um, Chelsea Handler now. I really like yeah. her. I like uh, Tom Segura, the storytelling stuff. I like Ron White was one of the ones I liked yeah. a lot. Um, of course, Wanda Sykes and Margaret Cho. So I've, this is like my, they're like the alternative, like really, most of the comedians I like are kind of like, real and they're sexual and they're out there and they're not like reserved or they're not like complaining they're kind of just twisting things around you know yeah was you like that all the time like was you always like the like the, the comedy girl at school or like oh Danette is crazy funny you gotta see her crack jokes or something like that was you like the stand up comedian like at school or was you more reserved god I was so shy really I was shy and afraid I was shy and afraid. And wow. I was very cynical as a girl. I remember going, people, you know what happened? I'll give you a story um, high school. Yeah. I was in my, I was very smart, though, like book smart at the end, because I saw I was put my energy in something. So when I was in my psychology class, I got exempted from the um, from a project, and everyone was angry. And they were angry. I don't know why they were angry, because I guess um, I just did so well on all the tests, and I got, like, I got exempted so they had an interview with me. I guess the teacher wanted to have a class. They could pick somebody they wanted to interview, mm-hmm. right? And I was the shyest person. I did not want to talk to anybody, I swear. Mm-hmm. And they go, all right. That's how cynical. I hated everybody. I really did hate everybody when I was younger. So that's what I'm talking about, dark delight. So, like, I um, was like, oh, my God, I don't know everyone to find me all the time because I'm so different. And they said, well, we want to interview Danette. We want her to come in front of the class. <laughs> so they had me come in front of the class and start asking me questions. And it was like a... It was like one of those questions that kept spinning around and around. It was like, they're like, why don't you ever talk to anybody? Because I don't know them. And they're like, well, if you don't get to know us, how are you going to talk to us? So like the whole interview was me saying, I don't know you. Why are you asking me these questions? And they're like, well, you got to get to know us by talking to us. So we want to know you because you don't talk. And then when we started talking, I was so dark, so cynical. They're like, wow, you are a dark, cynical person. Oh, my God. No, no wonder why you don't talk because you have nothing nice to say. You know, kind of like think. So it was horrible. I was I was so glad. I was just just not a very. I was very like because I was made fun of for being different. I kind of shut myself out and it just been observing everybody. I was afraid to speak because if I did, I'd be made fun of. Because always had something different or weird to say. Mm-hmm. Well, like if someone asked me, "What do you want to do today?" I go, "I'm gonna go home and have a big bowl of corn." Like big bowl of corn. I'm excited <laughs> about having a bowl of corn. Oh my god, you're such a dork. You know, like oh, I was. I was literally telling the truth. Like so that's I should have kept my mouth shut and said, "I'm just gonna go home and you know." Whatever, I don't know what kids did that were cool, but I wasn't cool. <laughs> oh. Was you like with the like the emo crowd or like what, what what kind of crowd you was with at school? I didn't have a crowd. No, I was a loner. Wow. No, I was always alone. I was alone. I who did I have? I had a couple of friends here and there, but really, I was probably the like I probably had the the, most, the least amount of friends ever. I was just me. I had a, like a boyfriend or two, and then like um. You know, just a couple people would talk to me here and there, but I never was in a group. I would talk to anyone who came up to me and talked to me, really. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't really part of any in-crowd or crowd at all. I just was, I told you, I'm a total eccentric loner. Wow. I always have been. And well, it's just, I just have, that's why I was, like, so cynical, because I never fit in, and I was so angry that no one would just let me be myself. So I was myself, they make fun of me, I was pissed off. It's like, you know what, I won't talk to you at all, I suck. So I was just like, I can't be me. In my, in my household, I could totally be myself. That's why I had trouble out there in the world. Because I was always taught to be. My dad always accepted me for who I was. Yeah. Did your father? Well, maybe not. So I said, did your father ever discourage you from getting into comedy? No. 
you know, my father, he wanted me to get into comedy when I was a girl. He knew I was funny. I was always kind of funny, right? Yeah. Just because I was love making people. I don't know how I'm just naturally can be funny with my family and whatever. I could do impressions when I was younger and stuff. I copied my cousins from New York and stuff. <laughs> do, do impressions. But anyway, my dad was like, believe it or not, like when I was 20, and I was like, um, I was doing all kinds of crazy things. I can't even tell you. And he like, not tell me. <laughs> he, he, oh my God, I don't want to because <laughs> I really just um, tell you this. Um, so my father, yeah. like, like he's Second City I live in Chicago, right? Uh-huh. I grew up in Southside Chicago. My dad's like, oh, Second City has a class um, for comics, you know, like for comedians. I think you should take this class and then perform. Oh. I was like, are you out of your mind? I'm like, I'm not going to do that. Like, I was just like, so I didn't believe in myself. My dad's like, oh my God, I could totally see you doing this. Because I guess everyone knew I, I wanted comedy more, more than I did. Mm. Like, when I was younger, I just, like, like my brother knew because I told them, and I was like, and my dad knew because he just knows me. He knew me. He knows me better than anyone in my family because he let me be myself and he paid attention. Plus, to be honest, my dad, I kind of was my dad's favorite because I like sports when I was a girl. I have no one else in my family really liked him like I did. And I played one-on-one basketball with him and football with him. Oh. And, and I, lo- I just had just love being around him. I was like, yeah, he's a little girl. And like everyone. So that's, so he knew me and he knew that I wanted to do it, but I, I didn't know. So it didn't matter, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't know. Yeah then you don't really feel it yet. Mm-hmm. So I didn't start really start comedy until, really, I mean, I've been writing jokes my whole life. They're all sucked. <laughs> but like, I've been trying, I was writing a bunch of dumb jokes and things, and I, I pull over in the car and write a few jokes and throw them in the compartment or whatever. I was in my 20s. I didn't really get into comedy until my 30s. Oh, wow. Because I was just, just didn't really think, I just really didn't think I had to. I kept, mm-hmm. you know, it was the call I kept ignoring, basically. Oh, it's really, I ignored it. It's funny because you know what? A lot of kids are like, um, uh, oh, um, I love, I love all you kids equally, or I love all the kids. Equally. You know, parents always have a favorite. Do you agree or not? I think so. I mean, and I, I didn't really know that because, I mean, yeah, I guess I was my dad's favorite. My sisters always said that. My brother, like, oh yeah, your dad's favorite. Like, how is that possible? Yeah. You know, what I think it is. I think it's because my father he secretly wanted just some kind of um. I think he really secretly wanted to do some kind of acting, some kind of work. And he, like, he, he's him and my grandmother, his, his mother, would always talk about all the stars and all the comedians. I would listen because I was perked up by that. I liked it. And I liked to hear all how my dad would always give me every story of every single person got their break. Mm-hmm. Here's how Steve Martin got his break. And here's how. And I'd be like, okay. So uh, I was interested. Yeah. So how did he get their break? And then I remember watching an interview on, like, one of those, like, some. Some idiot, no, some actor that got his, he didn't get started till like 38 or something like that. He was on some kind of LA Law or something, some TV show or something in the 90s. And he, and I listened to that really intently. And he was like, going, You can be as old as you are, you can be older and still make it. Like, oh, good, I have time. Like, kind of like procrastination. Yeah. I, I kind of put that in my mind, like, I don't have to do anything right away. But I started to realize I'm going to miss my train, you know? Yeah. And I heard it whistling. So I never jump on that train because I'm not. You know, I gotta do something about this dream now. I can't because now once you realize you, it's your dream, you gotta go for it. Yeah. Yeah. So how did um, you actually went for it? So you went to Second City, and um, what what happens next from there? Well, I went to Second City, did the dream my dad had a long time ago for me, and yeah. then I just started like um, I started hitting the open mics. I started going um, just getting on the stage. You know, just like every comedian has to. Um, just getting wild and I produced my own um, after a while I went to New York for a little while and did some comedy there and studied there I, I did some work at Broadway Comedy Club and I got my first showcase there it was like a guest spot on a showcase which was a big deal to me then I came back to Chicago and then I um, just I started producing my own comedy show an amateur comedy show called Ain't Joking With You mm. Ain't Joking With You <laughs> it's kind of dumb to make a comedy show that name ain't joking with you when it's a comedy show aren't you joking like whole idea of comedy but I don't know I just don't know why I named it that actually I think I named it that because my uncle my great uncle yeah. at a party ain't dead yet and I kind of to honor him I kind of put ain't I don't know why hey I can't even tell you <laughs> plus it was going to be like a it was going to be like a workshop showcase where I was going to have people I ain't joking with you get to work on your comedy kind of thing yeah. but anyway it ended up being a year and it, and I just kind of, I was hosting and producing it, so it gave me some experience, and I was able to network with other comedians here in Chicago. And I haven't really, like, I haven't really worked 
in like with any of the I mean, I've been around a lot of the comedians and supported a lot of the great local comedians here but I haven't really played like the, the clubs yet I'm kind of coming up in the bars and coffee shops kind of like George Carlin he came up in the bars and coffee shops yeah because I have a, such an eccentric and different view and take that takes a lot of I, I kind of need to be in an environment where it's less professional and more I can be myself mm. you know if you have no restrictions or no rules or guidelines or time constraints or anything because at a bar it's way more liberal and free to be able to do what you need to do whereas if you're in a club environment you're limited how much time you can do topics they don't they want you to do this and that where i just want to come up free and do my own thing however i feel i want to do it and i don't like being told i can't do this can't do that so that's why i do bars and coffee shops i do great environments where i can be myself um, how long does it take for you to write material? Like, um, do you have to go through a process to write down all these thoughts you have in your head and just put them worth, um, from from mind to paper? Like, how long does it take? I am constantly recording material. Like, every day. I have mm-hmm. a microphone. I'm constantly, like, like you said, George Carlin, I was mentioning him. I yeah. write down every single thing, thought that comes to mind that's funny or something that's haunting me and spinning around. And then I kind of piece it together later. Because I have an, an act I'm working on and I figure out where these pieces go. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of like that. Or I'm like, sometimes I write, I, or I can write, sit down and write some bits. Or if I have a topic I'm interested in, in researching, I'll research a little bit. You know, I'll look and, and but mostly I just kind of ideas come, they come flooding in. I used to get a flood of ideas, but now it's kind of, I just write them in piece by piece so I don't get that flood anymore. I just kind of, every time I get a piece, I write it. So mm-hmm. I just build up and I get a flood of ideas. Because I used to like never write them down and also I get a whole flood. I couldn't write down everything that was coming through. Yeah. And then now I just, every day. I'll take my recorder if I'm driving in my car or whatever, and I'll um, just kind of piece it together. And when I'm, when I'm doing the dishes, the will come or, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. When you're just, when you're not expecting it, the best material comes, and you just have to make, be prepared to write it down. Because so, you never know where it's going to fit. Yeah. Um, how would you describe yourself in terms of attitude and personality? I don't really have much of an attitude anymore. I'd say I'm... I'm I'm kind of a positive person mm-hmm. that I've been through a lot of my life and I used to be very cynical and I've switched it around over the last few years. I've been kind of on this journey to finding my real self. I'm kind of, I've gained a, um, a spirituality, I could say. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to be, I grew up in a cat, Roman Catholic but I didn't have any spirituality. So I had religion and God in that way. It was kind of a shallow way. Then I kind of fell off of religion but I never really knew what I believed but then I kind of found this spiritual element or aspect to myself, which is growing me. It's a part, you know what I mean? Like it's a, no, the positivity movement's huge now. Everyone's being positive and, you know, it's just, and all these great mentors that are out there, you know, that you can get all these self-help, all these great people writing books, doing things, you know, um, positive, with positivity. So I just kind of jumped on that a little bit and it's transformed my life. So now I've learned to slow my life down and be more positive and um, I kind of feel like that. I feel like I've grown to be in, in, in tune with myself so I can be in tune with others. I've grown to listen to people more. I've grown, I've just grown um, as a human being. Like my human spirit. Because I think everyone has a human spirit inside. Like kind of like my theory when I look around and walk around and look at people, I think a lot of people are caught up in their minds a lot. Mm-hmm. We're all thinking. It's a thinking age. It's an information information age with the internet and everything. So everyone's always constantly getting bombarded with information and they're thinking a lot in their mind. They're distracted. So that's why I meditate now and I take myself down to this place inside. And I look at everybody and go, oh, everybody's just caught in their minds. I bet you there's so much more of them inside. So every person that speaks, I listen because they more non-verbally they speak more than they do with their mouth. If you just pay attention to the person's energy, I believe in energies, you really get a feel for people. And then I want to get to know people. I'm a comedian who likes to get to know people by working my audience and really absorbing them because I'm really doing it for them, right? Yeah. Ultimately, mm-hmm. and for myself, but really for them because I really I'm an artist with a message somewhere inside. Eventually, they'll come out, but oh, yeah, you- that's how I feel. So I'm, I guess I kind of become. I think I'm who I am now is an ever-evolving person who's always in a flip and change. So if you interview me in two years from now, you go, oh, I've changed because I'm going to be evolving. Yeah. I don't want to stay still. I want to keep moving. So I guess I could say I'm going to be a fluid person, oh. ever-evolving. 
you was living in New York for six months, and um, right, was it six months you was living in New York? So May 2014, November 2014. Okay, and um, the from the people in New York City and the people in Chicago, how much inspiration material you got from living in New York and, you know, seeing how the people there and seeing the diversity out there. Did you get like a lot of inspiration from meeting people out there? Yes. New York has a, an energy about it. It's a, it's way different than Chicago. I can't even tell you. It's like, there's a, I always said when I was there, it has a pulse. New York has a very fast paced pulse. Yeah. I was uh, slow, too slow for those people at first. Um, but then I gotta say, the co- in terms of comedy, the comedy community in New York and the comedy community in Chicago, um, three years ago or whatever, um, when I was in, when I first went to New York or whatever, um, big difference in the comedy community in New York than Chicago. Because in, in Chicago, I was, I didn't, it was smaller. Actually, the Chicago comedy community is growing better and better each day. It's gotten a lot better than it was three years ago. But in New York, it was way better there when I went. Because everyone was supportive in New York and everyone was like, it wasn't like as clickish, you know. Chicago's got a very clicky comedy scene, and I wasn't part of the click. And no one—if you're not part of the click—they literally would leave the room when I would go on stage. No one would give me feedback. They'd get on stage and they'd leave the room. Wow. And I would be like, I felt so isolated. Again, in Chicago, I always felt isolated. I felt because people—I think the Midwest mentality, in my opinion, is more like clickish and more like if you're like us, we like you. If you're not, who the hell are you? We're afraid to associate with you. Whereas New York, everyone seems to be more, it's like integrated city. Everyone seems to be more like, you know, it was helpful. Right away, the first day I went on stage, they're like, that sucks. Let me tell you this. They're like really working hard in New York. They're way, they're more, they're working harder than they were in Chicago. Because Chicago is more laid back party, friends, and drug scene stuff, whereas, or at least where I was heading out, hanging out and trying to, I wouldn't do any of those things. So I was like, oh. But then New York is more like, ser- everyone's seriously working. Everyone has a great, what, we call it um, work ethic yeah. in New York. That it really, really like runs circles around the Midwest for mentality. I mean, we're hard workers here, but New York is like focused, driven, competitive. It's a beautiful place to be if you want to. If you really want to throw yourself in something, you can learn a lot in New York. And I did learn a work ethic, and not that I learned a different mentality. I learned that um, you got you can you can be not be afraid to let to fail. I guess New York was where I failed, and people made my failures, they softened them. They were yeah. kind, you know? That's what I felt. Wow. Um, how much um, did you enjoy New York City, and um, what was the reason you left? Well, I have kids, so I um, ran to, I had to go to New York. It was like a calling. It was like, a, I felt I needed to be there, and I thought I was going to go there for this for lots of reasons, personal reasons, I was there. Okay. And if it's called, it was so called there. I kept going there and going there. All of a sudden, I said I had to move there. It was really strange. You know how people have to leave sometimes to find themselves? Yeah. You're in a situation where you have to leave. Mm-hmm. Well, I was in that situation in Chicago where I had to leave for a while because I was just spinning in circles. I was not going anywhere. And I didn't know that, though. I wasn't very very aware yet of who I am. Like I, This awareness I have now is more recent. That I was not as nearly as aware. I wasn't aware at all of what I was doing. I just had these emotions. I acted on them. Flew over to New York. Went there. Had to move there. Pursued some things I needed to pursue, and then failed really hard. But then learned that I needed to look focus on myself. So then I had to leave. That's really my life is deep and weird. It's not like you know. Like yeah, I wish I could just say I went there for comedy, but I didn't. I have kids, and I had. I only was seeing my kids one week out of the month. Wow. And it's not enough for me. I just couldn't take it. And I was trying to get my whole transport my kids over there and just break, but I can't just yank them over, from over here. And I'm glad I didn't do it. I'm glad I didn't get it. It would really have been devastating to my kids. Plus, I, I'm single mom. I share custody with my baby's father. We've always shared the kids three and a half days a week each. So it would have just been devastating to rip them up. So I'm glad I kind of did. I was trying to rush my life, move it on there, and just trying to make everything happen at once. Mm-hmm. and it just totally failed. So then I'm glad it did, because then I learned, I picked up the pieces, came back home, and then I grew closer. I kind of got a lot, last couple of years, after coming back from New York, everything started opening up to me. I started seeing my truths, and then seeing my need to work on, and, and learning about myself, and then my comedy and everything else. So, and you know, I just can't, I couldn't. I made a, you know, I just trying to make something happen, wish, 
force something. You can't force things in life. I learned that. That was the, the lesson I learned. I trying to force my life, like trying to shove it where it doesn't belong, you know? Just, so now, I'm, I've grown from that. And I'm glad I went there and I learned a lot and it was a great experience. And my kids really like New York, but, you know, I just, it, it won't happen. I won't get to move there. I would like to move there. I don't really know what I'll be doing, actually. I'm really kind of leaving my life open. I'm not going to make a plan. I'm just going to keep working on my projects and stuff, which I can tell you what they are if you want to know. Or yeah, yeah. What are your projects? As, as, a, as an eccentric comedian and an independent comedian, more of an independent person, I kind of want to do, my project is an album. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to write a comedy album. So that's my goal. And I don't know how long it'll take, but I feel like, I'm more of an artist in the comedy. I'm like an artist that uses comedy as, a, as, my, as my medium. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Because I have a message somewhere inside, I think. I don't know. I mean, I guess my life unfolds as I go along. That's what I've learned to do, let it unfold. So I want, I'm writing an album, and that's what I want to do. So I want to get an album written, and then I want to tour for six months, and then I want to hit the scene a little harder. And mm-hmm. that's my approach to comedy. Is more of an artistic person um, wanting to learn and grow by doing it, and, and that um, having the album is a great goal because it'll grow your work faster. I think it'll make you focus and be more serious. Yeah. Um, what has been your? I see a lot of comedians do an album, and they just got they want to just they have all this work they want to put out, but they just feel like they rush it. Mm-hmm. They want to get their work out there, and they're like, "Oh, I gotta get this out. Otherwise, I've been in comedy for eight years. I don't have an album. I just need to get it out." You can be in comedy for 12 years and not have an album. Yeah. If your album's not to where you want it to be, why put it out? And I think, you know, because a lot of people dump a lot of their time into performance and trying to get gigs and trying to make money. Whereas for me, I think that comes later. Affect your craft, your content, and then it'll come later. That's how I feel. Yeah, so you're in, you're in no rush. You're basically just writing material, having stuff down, and, you know, when the time comes, then you're going to have all this material that you're going to put in your album that it's going to be big. I feel like I want to grow my craft and I want to take my time and I'm not in a rush because not in a rush to make money, but I'm more in a, I'm not really in a rush, but I'm more actually when you're not in a rush, you get more done faster. If you're rushing yourself and you're feeling that pressure, you don't do as good of work because you're not absorbing, you're not honing, you're not critiquing the way you would if you, it, um, when you slow it down some, when you're in a hurry, you're trying to have goals, it's a very competitive field. But comedy, one good thing about comedy is that it's different for everybody. And it all depends on you, the product. You are your own product. And you have your own power in your work. And you put, if you have a really great work, my favorite, um, my favorite philosophy is I share um, Steve Martin's philosophy. Mm. Of, um, he, he puts advice out for comedians. You know, Steve Martin says, get so good they can't ignore you. Yep. That, that stuck with me. Get so good, they can't ignore you. You're filling rooms. They're like, who is this person? We got to get this person. That's mm-hmm. where, that's where how I want, that's my philosophy, like see Mark. Because that's what he did. He's amazing. So, yeah. and he's a really nice guy. Because um, in New York, people have met him and they told me that he's a really great guy. So, wow. he tips 100%. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's amazing. Yeah. Have you had any reg- um, regrets in life? Some of the mistakes I made with my kids, I regret. That's like the only things I wish I would have. I was here's the deal. I wish I were stronger when I was younger because I would have made better decisions. Mm-hmm. I would have made better decisions for my kids, and we would be in a different situation right now. But because I wasn't strong enough, I um, I regret not getting stronger, not trying to get stronger. But then again, I didn't know back in the day I needed to be stronger. I didn't know I had I had to overcome some things. So. I guess I don't regret it because it makes me who I am today. And, there's a re- and I guess I'm kind of of the philosophy now that things happen for a reason mm-hmm. and they grow you in the right way at the right time. That really our lives are just unfolding for us and that why regret, you know, those mistakes and everything, they really, really shape me. I'm now way more, more, I know I take things a lot more seriously when it comes to my kids. And, you know, nothing really bad happened to them or anything like that. But I'm just saying, like, some of the mistakes, if I wouldn't have, like being a mother and I and letting my and not only my kids have the time you know 
It's a, I, 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 if I was stronger, I would have had my kids more time. But I was so passive and so, like, giving up my power. And I just gave time, all this time away with my kids that I'm never going to get back. And that's a regret. Because I said I agreed to having sharing my kids halfway. Instead of saying, like, most mothers have their kids all the time. Yeah. So I know. And I kind of feel like, but then again, I get, I Whatever time I do have with them, I do appreciate it, and that's more conscious. So it's kind of like you'll, you'll find a way to compensate for it, and their dad really wanted to have them half the time. No. So I, that's kind of like my regret, like just like not putting, not really being strong enough to be a good mother in the beginning, and mistakes I made with my kids. I mean, sure they grew me, and you know we all make mistakes, but just you maybe you know I don't. You know, people say they would wait to have kids, they'd rather wait till they had kids yeah. when they're older. Well, I couldn't because. If you, most people, you know, if you don't have kids by 40 or whatever, then you're not going to have kids. And unless you have like a million dollars, you can afford in vitro fertilization, all those processes I could never afford. Because I never, I was not financially successful ever. I mean, really. I mean, I've had money here and there, but never really anything amazing. So, like, I wouldn't have had kids. So it's kind of like, I'm glad I had them early. And then they actually changed me. I think it happened the way it's supposed to. I kind of, your kids teach you. I remember yeah. you telling me you're you're a dad, so yeah. you know how your kids teach you. Yeah. You grow with your kids; they grow you because they remind you of what it's like to be more to your. They're more authentic than you're ever going to be. Yeah. Kids are most authentic until so you beat the authenticity out of them with this rigid, you know, way conformity or whatever. Which I don't. My kids are not as see. I wasn't really conformed because my father didn't demand it. He wasn't conformed either. And my kids aren't going to be conformed. But a lot of people out there are conformed to a norm. They're conformed and they're afraid. And that's what I see as a comedian. And I say, oh my God, how am I ever going to talk to people who are so afraid? But then again, with this, like I said, the internet, right? All this information age, people are learning more things. I think people are getting more open. Do you think people are getting more open? More yeah. Open to new things and reminded? Yeah, I think so. You know, and you know, the thing is, is at, at the, it depends where you're at, though, because in place where I think here there, there's people that are open minded, but I don't know. I think it takes it takes experience and it takes like an awakening for them to be more open minded. They need to have like some kind of experience for them to happen because there's a lot of people that are closed minded. It's because they're not exposed to anything and they've never seen anything else but the same, you know, little green grass or a little house that they're in. They're in a little bubble and they're not exposed to anything. So it, it depends. I think it's, it, it all is all on the environment too of where you're at. Yeah, I think the kids of today, though, are more because of the internet. Because well, yeah. people who are set in their ways. But then yeah. again, you have people who are in their bubble and they're raising their kids in that bubble. Too, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Still yeah, because you're... Them in that same environment that's not growing them. And then mm -hmm. we have more of the same type of people who I don't think should exist. I'm sorry. <laughs> not like exterminated, but I mean, not exist in the mind. How can they still... With all this information, with all this out there, because they don't have to leave their home to get the information anymore. Yeah. You click on the internet, you see things from everywhere, yeah. around the world. In minutes, you can you can be in China, one touch of a button, you can see what's going mm -hmm. on over there with the camera. You can see everybody, you can see anybody, anytime, anywhere. So if you're not going to open your mind to that, you want to stay in your bubble, then, you know, it's like, you know, it's all at your, your fingertips. Like, younger kids are going to at least going to be, they know how to use the internet, and they're going to get, stumble upon, they're more likely to stumble upon something different in their mind they're not going to be stuck in this bubble of their parents are trying to keep them in and, they, and also you know what I'm saying like some of the things that are hurtful I think most hurtful things are people who are in their bubble judging other people and won't give them a chance mm -hmm. you know I think the worst kind of people for me to handle or deal with are snobbery. People who are snobbish. Yeah. You know, they look down on you like, who are you? You're so yeah. <laughs> Those kind of people. Yeah. Oh my God. I, I don't know what to do because I don't, I can't believe they still exist. Yeah. And they're oh. so cruel. Yeah. They're so cruel because it hurts so much to be shunned in your, like, like you say, ask them a question, they look at you and turn away. Mm -hmm. I, I hate that. That's the most hardest rejection I feel I've ever received is, Oh my God! Shut up! Or, you know, I went. I worked at a place where no, I say hi and they look at me and wouldn't even look. At, they look away. Wow! I go, hi, how are you doing? And they go, oh, uh, ew. <laughs> who, who, what are you? I was like, oh my God, really? How, what is going on? Like, why are they so mean? Because they can sense my authenticity. They can sense my eccentric personality. They can sense it. And they're like, you're not anything like us. I'm afraid of you. I'm not talking to you because if I talk to you, everyone else is going to think I'm a fucking idiot for talking to you. 
Oh, sorry, I just swore. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. You can swear. Family podcast or whatever. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah. That's what the worst shunning, I think, is, is when people just shun you and, like, you don't even know why. And you're like, oh, and you only you're left to guess because they're not going to ever talk to you and tell you what's wrong or what they think. Um, they're just afraid, I guess. And that's, that's a shame. And I hope, I'm hoping those people are, are going to evolve out of that some way. But I, I, like, but I don't know how you can get people who are closed-minded to see. Because there's always going to be people in the world who aren't, just aren't going to see. That's why George Carlin was so cynical. He probably saw a mm. lot of that yeah. for so long, a different era and everything. Yeah. And I, I have more hope. I have more hope for people because of because of the technology can be used properly too. I really kind of feel like the younger generation is. I have hope for them. I really do feel like all the young kids I talk to all the time. I feel like they're on the right track. Mm-hmm. They're like really open. They're more open. Even their parents are not. They are. Yeah. It feels like that. Maybe I'm just naive. You know? uh, Wom, what are your thoughts on women in comedy? Uh, I don't think it makes a difference. Mm-hmm. I think, I know people like to say a lot of these things going on with that and women don't get paid as much or some people think women aren't funny or because the male dominates society still in America, right? And yeah. you know, women have a different, I mean, I'm, I'm not really like, I'm not really like anybody. I'm not really like the average woman, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not really like, I'm just talking to me, you can tell. And I just, I feel like it doesn't matter. I think that anybody can do anything and then if you look at what the majority says, it doesn't matter. It matters what you feel. So when you're working in a field and it's mostly male-dominated, which comedy is male-dominated, right? Yeah. Like truck driving dominated you're gonna people are gonna be like why are you there and what the hell but women women more and more want to have a voice and you know me personally i don't even to be honest with you i don't even identify with my gender i don't even care like i know i'm a woman but i'm not going oh i'm a woman so you know whatever i forget that i'm a woman i forget i don't even think about gender ever well it's so weird about so i'm saying i'm weird i i talk to people and i don't even identify i don't even care what gender they are i don't think i don't think about that at all I say, oh, I mean, I talk to anybody all the time. Anybody, any person that's willing to have a deep, meaningful conversation, I'm all for it. And I don't really, I don't discriminate. So if people want to discriminate, they're, I feel sorry for them because they're missing out. They're missing out because they don't think women have a place. And it's just, it, it, I don't know. I've been kind of like thinking about this a little bit more because I, I don't really care about it, to be honest. I'm not a feminist. Yeah. I don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> but I would say... Studying a feminist like Gloria Steinem, I kind of, you know, who Gloria Steinem is. Yes, yep. A really famous. I just discovered her a few years ago, or whatever, a year ago or two. I feel like she's doing is amazing because she's going around the world and educating women and empowering women from all cultures and trying to get them to people. She's trying to understand um, what happens to women in our world, and it is not fair. And, you know, because women are, I guess people say, the weaker, because we're physically weaker. But she said, the favorite quote, favorite thing I have to say, her quote by her, she said that the less focused people are on gender, the more, um, less violence there is in their community. So when gender equality is more prominent, there's a lot less violence. Mm. And in cultures where there's a big divide between the genders and a big feud, there's a lot more violence. So that's something to think about, isn't it? She's she's studied a lot of cult. I don't study that stuff, but, but yeah, women in comedy. I think you know I shouldn't be thought of that way. It should be thought of as a person by person basis. If you think in terms of gender, then that's kind of like you're gonna get what you get. If you're thinking in terms of what's great, you don't put a label of nationality, any sexual orientation, you know, any anything, race, creed, whatever. It doesn't matter. Religion. Just who is this person doing comedy? Are they good, and are they funny, and are they amazing? Oh, man, woman, doesn't matter. That's how I feel about it. All right. Um, what's the single best piece of advice you ever received about being a comedian? Best piece of advice? I'm almost really... People are afraid to give me advice. They can just tell. Wow. I'm the kind of person that's like, I don't want it. Really? <laughs> I don't, no one's really giving me any advice. Let's see. Oh, oh, okay. Here it is. Not personally, though. No one's ever, maybe like someone may have said, you know, oh, never give up. Yeah. You know, never give up on your dream. Just keep, keep going. I think keep going.
going was the best advice I've ever given. Oh, keep going. It was not really directed to me, but I took it as it was. So keep going. When I first started writing, I was just writing down ideas. My BlackBerry, you know, I had a little. I was doing my recordings of my BlackBerry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Blackberry. Uh, and I was in my Blackberry, and I'm like oh, writing all these jokes. And then I remember I was gonna give up, like, uh, and I read this. I'm like, I can read it in the Blackberry. You know, someone said out there, keep going. And it just that that's all you have to do is keep going. Yeah. You know, like Ron Blake would say, keep pedaling the bike. Yeah. You know, you're gonna get thrown. Things are get thrown at you. Comedy's not an easy thing. Nothing worthwhile is gonna be easy. So you gotta pedal through a lot of, you know, a lot of rough terrain. You gotta pedal through the mud, the water. You gotta over the rocks. You gotta carry your bicycle over your shoulders sometimes. You just gotta keep going. Oh, what What would you do if you couldn't be in comedy? Nothing. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's all or nothing. So that's how I am. I would do nothing. I probably would just say, well, I I can't imagine myself not doing comedy basically so I'll be doing it for the rest of my life no matter what even if I'm doing it out of the back of a van wow that's how devoted I am to the craft wow um I'm very very loyal person very loyal like I have the same insurance person who's probably screwing me over for years but I'm loyal (laughs) (laughs) you know they're like what are you doing I don't know I just trust I'm loyal and and so (laughs) um have have you ever dealed with a heckler? And if so, how did you deal in that situation? God, I suck at hecklers. I suck because I, I can't believe when someone's being that rude. And I, I, I don't know how to be rude back. I'm so nice. Oh, my God. So I just sit there and let them talk. And then sometimes, you know, if I get, I used to yell at them. I have all kinds of stories of hecklers. I mean, I'm not saying. But nowadays, I just listen to the heckler. I don't really get heckled as much anymore, but... When I did, last time I got heckled, it was at a drag show. I was doing, I was the comedian that was um, performing between the, um, between the wardrobe changes of the drag queens, and they, and they were not expecting comedy, so I had the audience, audience member just rip me apart. He used to start talking about his whole life, and I'd let him talk, and go, you know what, and my, I guess you know why, that during that time, the act I was doing, I was just working on a new act, and it wasn't something I, did, I was devoted to. So it didn't matter. He won because I didn't, I didn't have no passion behind what I was going to say. But now if I were in the situation, because I love my work, I'm doing better work and more meaningful work, I have something to say. Yeah, I would probably say, shut up. I have something to say here. You're going to enjoy this. Be quiet. <laughs> but because I was a, my belief in my work back then wasn't strong, my mm. way I handled hecklers was poor. But now I think I you handle I handle them very softly. Because I think I've seen a lot of comedians do rough. You can go however your personality is. And since I'm more of a self-deprecating type um comedian um i just kind of put it on myself oh i'm gonna let you talk over me i guess or you know i kind of like make it i'm just soft i'm really soft on people i don't really want to have a fight i want to and if you're going to interrupt you to the point you can't do your act then what's the point you know i mean they keep talking and talking and talking either someone's gonna throw them out of the bar or but usually i just they shut up i kind of handle them really fast now i just kind of say whatever they say listen to them i think listening's the key and then say whatever's on my mind and shut them up and they start laughing. You should make them laugh, and then they, they shut up, and then we all, I keep going. Mm. Um, what goals are still left out there for you? Is there anything you haven't achieved yet that you have your sights set on for 2017? I know it's the album, but is there anything else? Yeah, it's just growth. Growth is always my goal. I think like, I think you were talking earlier, and I was telling you, we were telling each other, really, that you never stop growing. You never stop. Your experience grows you, right? Right? Yeah. So the more experience I get, I'm just looking forward to the experience. I'm looking forward. I always say this. Now you just gave me the opportunity to say it again. Yeah. That I want the experience. That's what I want. My goal is to gain experience in everything in life, not just comedy. Just I'm learning to slow down and experience my life because I love life. Mm-hmm. I love it and I love um, comedy. And I I think I'm setting goals like my albums. Are, I'm not saying it for the year, but it's going to be a lot of work. But in the 2017 going to be a lot of work put into this album now to get me started on working on albums. This is only the first album I'm ever making. I'm going to make many more. I feel it. But for now, this is the first album, so it's going to be my process of doing an album. It's going to be very, It's going to be a great experience, learning. So I'm learning. Now I say I love the process. You know, because yeah, a lot of yeah. I listen to, I, I study a lot of great people who are very successful, all these entrepreneurs and all these self-help people, all these gurus out there. And the best the, the thing they take, I took from them the most, or I really recall, is them saying, 
I regret, they re, their biggest regrets are not enjoying the process, hurrying up, going from point A to point B with their goals. You know, so I'm like, hmm, how could I slow it down to really enjoy the process? So that's my goal, is to enjoy the process all along, for the long haul, enjoy the process, because everyone regrets not enjoying it, because I love where I'm at now, it's fun. I'm never going to be doing this again. Once you get more serious into your career, you're just going to lose lose all this fun that you're having now. All, even George Carlin said that the most fun he had was in the beginning where you could just mess around and really exploring and stretching your work and meet all these crazy people and you're really experiencing. I'm not, I'm not going to be a person that regrets the process. I'm in love with the process and I'm in love with the experience. So my goal is to fall more in love with the experience every day. All right. Normally I don't talk about politics, but what do you make of the current political climate in the country? I don't even get involved, to be honest, because it's just, I don't think politics are the, I'm a humanitarian, so I don't look at politics, because politics are too confusing, it's too, it divides people, right? It's just too much division in our country because of it, and too much heartache, I see people, I don't really believe, okay, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't really believe that our president is going to be able to build a wall. I don't really believe... (laughs) Yeah. He's going to try to get rid of the internet. I don't really believe. I mean, he can talk all he wants to talk, but really? <laughs> if, I'll be shocked. And if he does, then it might, it might really shift to a bad place. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people are going to put up with it. But I don't know. I think a lot of people are really upset, and it's the most upsetting. Uh, I, don't know, I feel bad for other people. And I... Um, really bad for other people because they're really emotionally invested and if I ever, if I even look at it for a minute if I were to give my attention to it I will become emotionally invested and then I become part of the problem with heightened emotions and just ranting and not doing anything the only thing to really do is be patient listen listen to what he says listen to what's going on see it feel it and if it's not what you like you have the power to do what you want you don't have to follow political you don't have to follow our culture's politics to be a person a human being you can you don't have to those morals are not they're not right you don't have to go along with it go march to the beat of your own drum you know like forget about politics they're not going to change the world you're not going to change anything through the federal government so like the only people who have power in the federal government are the people who have money and who already who are like some they who have a say who are you know what i mean everyone knows that like whoever has a say they have money and they have power and they get what they want done the average people, you look at, pay attention, rarely get anything done. Because, and really, if you want anything changed, you work. People who want to get involved, people want to get involved with politics, do it on the local level. Get involved on a local level, and then you'll see, even on a local level, how messed up it is. And then you'll say, screw it, I'm going to be a human being, and I'm going to be loving, fuck this. Because oh. really, it's all I'm a humanitarian. I believe about the human humanity, not about politics, because it's divide. I think it's designed to divide. Mm-hmm. Because we have, look at a two-party system, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's too much division. We have enough division as it is, really, and now we have to have more. Now it's about building walls. We should be knocking down the walls and building bridges, connecting people, not separating. So I think we're going in the wrong direction politically, but I'm not political, so I don't care. You know what I mean? I I refuse to buy into it, and I refuse to let that destroy my my feelings and my happiness. Mm -hmm. I I wish everybody else would stop worrying about it, too, because it's making everybody so upset. And that bothers me to see people upset. I really hate seeing people get emotionally, you know, thrown about, thrown around it with it. I don't get. It. I will not get that way. I'll pay attention, but I'm not going to get emotionally invested. Yeah, totally agree. Um, what's been the biggest thing you've learned about life or discovered about yourself? That I needed to slow down. You know, wow. I really think people in our world, and I especially, it all comes from the person, your personal experiences. Slowing down, people in America and our culture don't know what that means. It means like this. Let me give you an example. <sighs> Taking a breath, right? Mm-hmm. It means looking around and instead of jumping to conclusions and your emotions being on high because we're all moving so fast, you don't have time to know who you are. If you slow down, you really get to know who you are. You really, really need to slow down. And I discovered that I thought I was slowing down. I was not. Slowing down is a process that takes, you You know, you just have to focus on it. And then when you slow down, you become more aware. Then when you become more aware, you can change and evolve into the person you're meant to be. If you're looking, if you're not, you're too distracted, you're moving too fast, you just are, you're just living in a shallow way. Just, you can't live deep and real and experience things when you're in a hurry. 
all the time. Mm-hmm. You just can't. And I think that's what's wrong, what's wrong with me. Um, I don't know about anybody else, but from, like you said, pertaining to myself, slowing down. My mother always said it, slow down, slow down, slow down. I never listened. But then now as I go along and start meditation, I realize slowing down has changed my life significantly. This is the last three months where I really slowed down. I've changed so much, and I feel if I continue on this path of slowing down and really absorbing and enjoying that process I was telling you I want to enjoy, I'm going to be enriched, and my life's going to be fine no matter what. Yeah. Um, has any any um, dark tragedy ever happened to you that you incorporate in your comedy, or have you, have you ever had anything so, like, anything really traumatic happen to you that you put into your material? I have a lot... I've had a lot of trauma. Um, I had a lot of uh, abuse and trauma in my childhood. I haven't really, really opened up about that yet. That's because um, it's such a sensitive subject. It's so personal, and it's so like would affect people in my family if I were to open up about it. That I'm not just thinking about myself. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I were to go on stage and get into some of the stuff that really happened to me that was painful, and I do have material, I've written it, wow. but I haven't been able to do it because it's just, it would hurt people to bring it out, you know what I mean, it would hurt, I, I maybe I will get over this, maybe I will eventually, but I think it would really hurt my father especially if I were to go into depth about some of the things that were really traumatic in my childhood, because it would mean that he would change his perspective on the person who did it. And he, would, he wouldn't be able to handle it. It would be, I shouldn't care about that, but I do. Because, I mean, speaking up is important, but I think timing is very crucial in that. And that, I think, as I evolve as a comedian, I go down the line, I learn how to put this out there without making it too traumatic for my family. Like, I just, I really love them. I really care. And I don't want them to suffer from... I can make really good light of it, and man, I've written a lot of great jokes, but they're for me, because I laugh off that tragedy, that's what comedy, remember we were talking about it earlier, I'm a comedian to save my own soul, mm-hmm. like if I didn't laugh off the pain I've been through, and I laughed, and I was younger, I would laugh it off immediately upon it happening, and I always use laughter as a no. tool, or uh, to survive, really, it was my key to surviving my tragedies, wow. so right on the spot, and then you know, that kind of comedy is really dark, and really twisted and really personal and I think it would take a lot of years for me to really develop it to a space where it can be revealing without insulting and defaming and I really want to put I think it's going to be great actually making me think about it thank you for asking that no. I think I'm going to shift this villainization of this of this of the perpetrator in my life I'm going to shift it to an understanding of that person no. and make it more loving and then once I shift that perspective, then I can joke about it. Until I can shift away and make it light of it, I can't do it. I don't want it to be too twisted and dark. I mean, yeah, I have a lot of twisted and dark jokes, and they're funny to me. But out there in the world, people will be like, holy shit. That is insane. So until I can shift it to a lighter, making, loving the vic- loving myself and loving the person who did it even more in the forgiveness pattern, and then really trying to understand and then my I try to make the joke out of understanding it really yeah. make the joke make the humor come from trying to understand the mentality of this type of thing so I think it'd be really it's really deep and it's really in the future it's really not going to be but I mean sure all my jokes are stemming from my pain laughing 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 because laughing is a healing it's in endorphins come you know it's really healing and it's really powerful mm-hmm. as George Carlin would say a laughter um no one's more being being more themselves than when they're laughing, right? Yeah, that's true. So letting it go, you're, you're you're finding something amusing. You're putting down your guard. You're letting something in. You're finding something humorous. It's deep and real. So yeah, I do have a lot of tragedy, and some of it is, I have all kinds of tragedies, to be honest. But the most detrimental ones that really made me a comedian are the ones I have to wait till I mature as an artist, because I really would like to do this piece wow. nicely. I want to do it. It's definitely about the abuse I sustained as a kid. Yeah. But I want to do it tastefully. I want to do it when I'm mature enough. Uh, I'm saying, let me know if I'm out of line, but um, is it like sexual abuse or like physical abuse that you've dealt with? or Every type of abuse. Every type. <laughs> okay. Every type of abuse you can imagine um, wow. with my family. Um, 
and so yeah it's a lot it's well, a lot it's a lot i think the the worst probably was the emotional abuse of all the you think sexual abuse would be the worst no the emotional abuse is the worst wow really it hurts deep it hurts deeper than the sexual the sexual abuse you kind of go numb you kind of you might develop a few unhealthy sexual patterns you might have this and that you might have some images of yourself that aren't healthy maybe you're sexualizing yourself too early whatever but then when you have the emotional abuse it scars you it scars you deeper it's like you really couldn't handle that's like the worst because then you're being shunned by your own family you're really I was a black sheep of the family too on top of it all the eccentric the different oh who everyone against me and me it really felt bad it was really terrible I would be alone crying a lot but you know what that dark 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 space of all the abuse from everyone around me really now I have a lot to say now I have the light I can bring from all that dark. Because I was, I started off very dark. Very, very dark life. And it was just, a, it was just, a, it was just everything. And then my peers, my family, I had nobody, really. I felt totally isolated and alone at times. So I never tried to kill myself or anything, though. I never did yeah. any cutting, never did anything weird. I just, I laughed a lot to get through it. Yeah. Seriously, I'm a serious comedian. I'm not kidding you. I, my sisters and I would laugh. Laugh so hard we couldn't breathe. That's what that's what kept us from wanting to kill ourselves and doing anything crazy. There's the laughter. See, I am a real comedian. Holy shit! <laughs> yeah. Wow. Have you ever? I t- wow. Have you ever taken any drugs or? No, I'm not. Uh, I I drank a little bit here and there. Yeah. Um, but I don't like drugs because they alter my mind. And I like to control. Yeah. I think as an abuse victim, especially a, a sexual abuse victim, you had your you had your everything taken from you, and you. Want, you, know, you felt like you, were, you lost all control of your own self. You're not in control of what people do to you. So then you want to, and so the, uh, the, the, what I used to do is try to gain, try to be controlling, control every part of my life and environment. Um, that's very common with people who are sexually abused. You, you see people OCD almost with their life. They're really setting it up with such control because, you know, you, you lost, you, you were, you're stripped of that. So then I guess, um, yeah, I guess the fight, like letting go of control um, is what I'm learning now so I can live freer because I, I don't need it anymore. I'm not in that same situation where I'm being abused and I have to fight for control. I'm now in a place where I can um, I can let go of control and let it be and let my, uh, my heart guide me and use my intuition more and slowing down again, you know. So, yeah. What was the question? <laughs> No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I was talking about um the drug situation. If you've done any drugs and that you like, drugs? No. Yeah, Because yeah. I don't like losing control. You get control. If you have the drugs yeah. in your mind, it takes away control. I'm sorry. That's, I knew it was a question I was missing. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> on a um, yeah. Um, because you know, if you're taking even smoking marijuana, it takes control of your mind too much. Yeah. And I don't like to lose control of my own mind. I don't like to trust the drug. And if you're, if you're, like, I was talking to this one kid the other day. He was like, oh, I've taken all these drugs and I, let, I tripped on acid. Did you ever trip on acid? I go, no way, because I would, I would be too resistant. Of the, I wouldn't let it take me. I would be fighting it. I'd be like putting my hands and legs up against the trip, and I would be like resisting instead of going into it. Because if you want to do drugs, you have to be like relaxed. and you have, to, you have to be like want the experience of having your mind altered, and I do not. No. And alcohol just kind of holds your... Alcohol doesn't alter your mind. It just alters your perception a little bit, but not really. Mm-hmm. Alcohol just kind of takes away your inhibitions and clouds your... So it kind of numbs you. Yeah. It's depressant. Yeah. So you don't get nervous. It's not anxiety. Then when you're coming off alcohol, you get anxiety because you're withdrawing. You're, you're always withdrawing from any kind of substance. But but anyway, yeah, no, I can't. I don't need... I never did any drugs. Yeah. Um, is there any secret out there that no one knows about you? I'm very open. So there's not much that people don't know. Yeah. Um, there could be a couple of little dark secrets I want to keep to myself. You know, okay. things that I, I had to forgive myself for that are really deep and really, like, I would never reveal probably ever. Unless, maybe, maybe the closest, when I, ever, when I get in the, I believe there's a special, when I'm really with a special person, a special mm-hmm. partner, I believe I can tell that partner everything. Yeah. But I'm not sure if I even want to tell the, that partner these things. So that's how serious. How a couple, everyone has their couple of dark secrets that they would keep. Wow. Um, maybe I would probably reveal them. Maybe I'll reveal them along. Maybe I should reveal those things in my that album I'm going to do with the, the album I'm going to do the deep album about abuse. That one. Yeah. I think that abuse album will be really good. I think it'll help a lot of people. 
Wow. But I think so. You know, so I think I'll probably reveal my darkest secrets in that in that too. Just let it all loose. I want no. I want no secrets. My final question for you is: What would the Danette of today tell the Danette of yesterday? You're beautiful. You've always been beautiful. Why can't you see it? You see it now. Let me show you how beautiful you really are. Wow. That's deep, Danette. That's deep. Really deep. I'm a deep fucker, you know. <laughs> ah, I like to swear because it's real. But, you know, that is my, I'm not a potty mouth. But I like to throw the... My mom always would say, motherfucker. I loved it. So, like, What's your favorite thing about your mother? How she'd say motherfucker, you know? It was just so awesome. <laughs> Um, that um, plug your social media, plug any upcoming events you have. I um, I'm on Facebook and Danette Mark. I also, I wouldn't go to my comedy page. Just go to Danette Mark, my regular page. We can go to Danette Mark. Um, and then I'm also on Twitter, Danette six fourteen. And then I have a website, DanetteMark.com. And I am I'm I'm actually doing a webcast. I'm a small part of webcast. I don't have I can't really give you that information yet until it's out. Okay. Filmed. And what else do I have really going on? Really, just I don't have nothing to plug. Just come see me at a bar. Come see me. Come see me live. You'll have fun. Oh, well, all, my, uh, all my shows be on my website. Yeah. So, so um, bars in Chicago, right? There's like a couple of bars that you. Uh, I have some upcoming shows I haven't put on my website yet because I'm waiting for dates. Gotcha. So okay. I'm putting them out there to be announced like an idiot like I used to do. I'm just gonna get the dates of the shows, find out what we're up. If I'm featuring, headlining, just doing a spot. I'm trying to figure out what. I have like three shows coming up, so I gotta maybe four. So I gotta get those booked solidly, and then I'll put them on my website. So I'll probably be doing more work in March. I think February is just gonna be a month of me writing and working my album and getting it started getting the framework for my album ready awesome Dana thank you and I hope everybody out there was intellectually stimulated by way of mobile devices have a good one folks <laughs>